I'm just delighted to be with you all tonight. I so appreciate the invitation from the good saints here in Nicholasville to to study with you, to bring some lessons to your attention, to look into God's word for encouragement, edification, and ultimately to assemble together with you to praise and glorify God. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. It's a beautiful evening. Uh, We certainly have come into God's presence with thanksgiving and praise. And so now let's look into his word. Let's listen to what God has to say to us from his word and see if we can't be edified from that. I'm certain that we can if we'll open our hearts and our minds as we study together. I mentioned to the the folks here yesterday that these lessons that I've brought to you all yesterday and today and then, of course, tomorrow, um, I put together, I worked on and delivered to the saints in Georgetown there at Central. Uh, They were my guinea pigs. I see Gary and Nancy Brown here tonight. I heard Gary saying he walked in. He's a glutton for punishment. Uh, Clearly, (laughs) that's true, Brother Gary. Um, and so they've already heard this sermon uh, in a slightly different format, and, and so I appreciate uh, the opportunity to, to prepare these lessons for your benefit, uh, and I hope they will be profitable to you. We, we went through a process there at Central studying some lessons about some challenges that the church is faced with today. We looked at some things such as misunderstandings about the authority of the Word of God in religion. We talked about things like denominationalism and traditionalism and even institutionalism, how all these things provide challenges. Uh, they, they present these threats and challenges to the church to change it from something that it's intended to be into something that it's not intended to be. Now, I want to preface this lesson today because we're going to talk about the question, can I really attend the church of my choice? And I want to say before I start speaking about this, because there's going to be a challenge we're going to address tonight with addressing the church. And I want to point out that there, the fact is the church as established by the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will always stand. There's nothing or no one that can ever shake the foundations of the kingdom. Over in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44, we we can read there, And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. And of course, that's a reference to the image that Daniel saw, Nebuchadnezzar saw of the the man with the head of gold and silver and brass and iron, and and then the stone hewn out of the mountain came down and dashed the feet. And the reference here is to the kingdom of God. It shall stand forever. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, here Jesus says, I also say to you that you are Peter, when he's speaking here to one of his disciples. And on this rock, the confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, he says, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So nothing... Nothing can destroy the church. Now, I do believe local congregations can be threatened. I do think local congregations can and have closed their doors from different threats. But there's a challenge that the church is faced with today, and it manifests in the question, can I really attend the church of my choice? And, And it's a dangerous trend. It's a dangerous concept and mindset, and it is the mindset of consumerism. We lived in a consumer based society. I imagine most of you probably sat out tonight and decided where you might want to go for dinner or maybe when you're shopping for a car, who has the best benefits. And we understand this concept because consumerism is really just a protection or promotion of the interest of consumers. That's not a hard thing to understand. And, that's, and it's not a bad thing either. I, I mean, we want to choose the best restaurant. 
Uh, Kyle was telling me he ate at a restaurant that had a B rating for cleanliness. I'm like, Kyle, maybe you didn't choose the best restaurant tonight. Let's go for a little higher rating. Um, and, and, you know, and, and we want to choose the best doctor. We want to choose the best car dealer, whatever that may be that provides the benefits to us as the consumer. And the truth is, my friends, this is a mindset of our culture. And that mindset, as with many others in our culture, like tolerance and maybe even entitlement, has bled over into the church. And it does cause harm to local congregations everywhere. When people ask, well, can I really just attend the church of my choice? The very word choice implies an issue of consumerist mindset. And I want to investigate this question tonight. I'd like to do that by first Noting the rise of a consumer-centered society. This is a little bit of a history lesson per se. Uh, Our society really started uh, changing about 100 years ago, thereabouts. Prior to the Industrial Revolution and the Civil War, we were primarily an agrarian society. We lived off the land. We farmed and things such as that. And that all changed post-World War, um, Industrial Revolution, excuse me, not World War, post-Industrial Revolution, as our society became more urban, as people started uh, moving to the suburbs and looking more alike and driving cars and buying televisions. This is when a certain idea started to emerge known as keeping up with the Joneses. We've all heard this mindset. This meant that we, as a society, were all in a race to be the best And everyone jumped on board to stay caught up. Well, marketers of products got hold of this and ran with it. Certainly to fulfill the American dream, as as it became known, it it was called the American dream. We needed to have our own house. You had to own your own home. You had to have a car, maybe two, and certainly have a television instead of a radio. Well, then color television comes along, and that was invented, and better cars were assembled, and bigger houses were framed, and they just thrown up by the thousands nationwide. And, and as the pursuit of the big ticket item was forefront in the American mind, there were the haves and the have-nots, to be sure. But people generally went nuts acquiring things. Well, before you knew it, it wasn't just the big ticket items that drove everyone crazy. It was the options on them. Uh, cars got power windows and, and houses got bigger yards and multiple bathrooms and shutters and decks. Shopping malls were invented where you could just walk under one roof and have as many choices, options of clothing stores and furniture stores and, and specialty shops and restaurants. And the shrewdness of marketing executives became more and more refined as Americans ate right out of their hands. Well, it's only increased exponentially in recent times. Now you can go online. I don't do this, but you can go online and design your own car. Just a couple of clicks of a button, you can design everything about it. Or you can go online, I've been told, and you can design your own tennis shoes if you're into that. You can have custom-made sneakers, the color you want, and the style and the shoelaces, I suppose. I mean, everything's personalized. We, we dye our hair if we don't like its color. We crash diet if we don't like our weight. And if that doesn't work, we can just be made over again with reconstructive surgeries. Everything we want as a society, everything we want, we get just how we like it. But we don't, we really don't 
only get it the way we want it. We get it when we want it too, don't we? Food took too long on the stovetop, so now we just cook it in microwaves. And, and fast food restaurants, have you ever noticed in fast food restaurants they have timers that we can see right in front of us on the registers, which is a message to us that they know just how important that we think that we are and we deserve our food pronto. 90 seconds is just too long to wait for a microwave burger. Televisions were nice innovations. I remember this even as a kid. Televisions were nice innovations, but getting up to change that channel, remember the big clunk, clunk, clunk to turn that channel? Well, that was, just, that was just annoying. So we got remote controls. Today we can turn on our television and navigate hundreds, if not thousands, of channels that meet any one of our many entertainment needs. And if what we want isn't available, we just click a button and we watch it on demand now. And if we miss our favorite show... Well, we can just either use a device that records 52 programs at one time, or we can visit the Internet and watch it at our leisure. Movie theaters were an invention that just stunned people at the turn of the century. But now we can just sit at home, order a pizza from our chair, and a movie without even getting up out of the lazy boy. You see, this is, this is our society. Now, let me say this. Consumerism is what drives our consumer-based society. And when it comes to secular things and, and, and temporal things, maybe not sneakers, but certainly movies and TVs. I'm on board. That's great. I love my remote control. I'm not saying that's any, anything sinful. I'm a willing participant. But the mindset has inevitably crept into the church. And it has given rise to the consumer-centered church. A consumer-centered mindset within church and within religion. Evidence of its existence is there individually. You see this in individuals' lives. You see it collectively when congregations start thinking this way. I have heard people, and I've heard congregations alike, I've heard both, make comments like something, well, I'll just worship there because it's a place where we can grow the best. It's where we choose because we like it the best or something such as that. I've heard people say, well, that church, that one over there, as opposed to this one over here, offers better programs. And, and, and there's lots of kids too, so that's a better option for me. <laughs> Recently I heard this one. We need to have a bigger and better building to make people feel more comfortable so they'll come serve God. And, and not that in any of these things necessarily are wrong, but they all suggest a consumer mindset. And so when I hear statements like these, I, I'm firmly convinced that a, a consumer mindset has indeed taken root. And again, it's not a sin, it's just something we need to be aware of. Because all these reasons essentially, when we start saying, I want, I like, I prefer, I need, all of a sudden we're starting to say, well, I'm going to worship God on my terms. When and where I like, when and where I choose, based upon what I get out of it. Just like I say, I prefer this restaurant and this doctor and this car dealership over these. And we have to be aware of this mindset. It does seem, with a little research I did, it does seem that this trend really took off when good church guides uh, were first published. Some, maybe some of you all have seen those. Some denominations actually began uh, by staging conferences and Bible weeks. And, and these marketing drives just boosted the denomination's numbers so much and their ability to, to promote themselves so much that it just caught on like wildfire. And recently, marketing drives, I've actually observed, marketing drives have, have taken to the Internet, of course. That's the best way to reach people today. And they're on the internet, independent television networks, all producing tremendous 
increases in what they'll call membership and contributions. Well, consequently, many church leaders of non-denominational sound congregations have observed this trend. I've actually spoken with some elders at different congregations, and they have noticed what denominations are doing, and consciously or unconsciously, whether the case is, I'm not sure, they've actually been convinced that in order to survive and thrive, they must engage in similar aggressive marketing techniques. So whether intentional or not, my friends, what I'm trying to get at, potential congregation members, a.k.a. consumers, just simply go church shopping today. That's a very common thing. People have this mindset that I have choices. Look at the options I've got. So I'm going to try them all out and find the one that I like best, that suits me best. And, and, And for many today, choosing a church is now like exploring the stores and the boutiques of a mall. You just keep shopping until you find the church or the product that is a perfect fit for you. That is a consumerist mindset. There's no way around that. Many people do deny this and, and, and don't suggest that this is a problem, but it is a problem. There's a great need for understanding why a consumerist mindset is so destructive, or it's so threatening, maybe I should say, to our spiritual lives as well as to the collective body of Christ. Let me suggest a couple reasons for you when it comes to the challenge of consumerism. Why this becomes such a challenge to the local bodies of Christ. Because the truth is, consumerist mindsets lead to the cloning of success. This is observed. This is seen when something works well for one church down the road. Right? It's, it's productive, it's good for maybe in the same town, maybe the next town over, wherever the case may be. And immediately other congregations start copycatting, start doing the same thing. They'll change maybe their visions or they'll change their methods and adopt the latest route to pulling in customers. What happens with this is local congregations that once enjoyed close relationships, that once enjoyed uh, maybe some co-working together, maybe with gospel meetings and things such as that, you start to see uh, competition. They start to view each other as, well, we got to vie for those customers, for those members. And many of them seem to survive on what sociologists have termed marginal differentiality. That's a big sounding word. And what that means is their objectives or their ethos, they're very similar, but they develop a small margin of difference, just a tiny bit of difference that is just sufficient to distinguish them from the other competition. This happens, and, and again, we just have to be mindful of this and understand that this is the mindset that is so prevalent today. Perhaps, perhaps the greatest downside of consumerism in the church is the use of, use of soft sell techniques. Unfortunately, this happens so, so often. You start, churches start soft-selling the Christian message. The truth is that certain key aspects of the faith do not market readily. There are certain topics, there are certain subjects that just don't taste good when people hear them preach. Subjects like, oh, oh judgment, right? The subjects like, um, I've got a whole list of them here. Let me, let me read what I've got written down. Um, commitment, right, and the demands of taking a public stand or, or suffering for one's faith or, or living in a culture that doesn't acknowledge Christianity in the sense that, that, that is the truth, but having to take a stand and, and, and fighting for that. Those, those topics are just not quite as marketable as maybe some subjects like, you know, you know, 
fluffier things. I don't try not to be uh, demeaning about this, but certainly there are so, there's a temptation just to preach on on grace and faith and love and blessings, and less on more difficult topics. And as a result, you start soft selling and slow pitching the gospel. There's always that temptation to tone down or pass over these issues in church bulletins and brochures and and web pages and certainly even in sermons. And so at the same time, strong emphasis is placed on the more appealing aspects of worship like great Bible school programs and uh, the camaraderie of the saints and, and the safe haven for the youth that will give children lots of friends and keep them safe from all the bad drugs and promiscuity out there. My friends, we need to take an authentic and genuine stand against these kinds of compromise. We need to be careful that we're not soft-selling as a result of, we see the church, the denomination on the road just just booming with numbers. What are they doing? Let's see if we can do a little bit of that. we got to resist that. There's a quote here from David Wells in his book called God in the Wilderness. He says, we must give up self-cultivation for self-surrender, entertainment for worship, Intuition for truth, slick marketing for authentic witness, success for faithfulness, power for humility, a God bought on cheap terms for the God who calls us to a costly obedience. We must, in short, be willing to do God's business on God's terms. As it happens, that idea is actually quite old, as old as the New Testament itself. But in today's world, it's novel all over again. The issue of consumerism is an indicator, there's no way around this, it's an indicator of how worldly the church has become. If the church is to be an authentic manifestation of God's kingdom, then it must leave behind all accepted secular and copycat techniques of promoting itself and return to the appeal of sound Bible teaching that can actually save someone's soul. Anything short of that changes the nature of the church into something not of God. Well, there's another reason I'd like to suggest that makes a consumer's mindset such a challenge to the church. And and, and when people start to say, I'm going to attend the church of my choice, these mindsets come in because consumerism ensures that only the fittest survive. Uh, One problem of a free market enterprise among the churches is that inevitably there will be winners and losers. In in the end, it will almost always be the most aggressive and powerful who will survive and prosper while the weakest and smallest will go to the wall. You see that in all business models. All this raises serious questions since the gospel focuses on Jesus Christ who came to empower the weak and to serve and strengthen the outcasts and and to help and bring in the marginalized. Consumerism does the exact opposite. When you look at mega congregations, they have sufficient income to offer a variety of what you might call perks that can attract a following from a wider geographical area. Now, at one level, this can be interpreted as beneficial since it provides uh, an opportunity for community that, and religious experience that uh, may otherwise not be available to people in their own locality. That's certainly a positive But on the other hand, it draws people away from smaller congregations and and churches that lack the perks that these other churches are promoting. In this context, Max Weber's hinterland theory is an interesting theory to consider, and I'd like to propose it to you now to think about. 
He says the greater the distance people travel to a place of worship, the greater is the decline in the influence of that religious institution or organization. Now think about that for a second. I I meditated on that, and I gave that some thought, and the way I kind of think of it is, is this idea that the further a parent drives to drop off their kid at college, the weaker the influence perhaps that parent's teaching has on that kid who's so far away from him. I'm not saying that's an absolute, but it's a similar idea. And so what you see here is it could be argued that overtly aggressive church marketing by different groups and congregations is siphoning members from other congregations rather than reaching outsiders. The lost, that, that model is probably dysfunctional in the long term. And let me give you one more very quickly and we'll move on with, with this lesson Consumerism challenges the church because it actually changes the members of the church. The body of Christ is changed by this mindset. The constant pressure to to market the church more and more effectively inevitably carries a price tag with consequences for both church leaders and the members. Traditionally, in the New Testament, the local church has been seen as a very tightly knit fellowship with members bound together in commitment and love and practical, caring, and under the pastoral supervision of their elders. Rather, in recent years, though, however, all this has begun changing as the elders are less of pastors and more of marketers and business managers. And many congregational members, they're they're ceasing to be committed, serving members, and and really instead have just basically become church shoppers. They just kind of come in, they put their time in, and they get out. You know, because of the pull of market forces, there is now constant pressure on churches to employ preachers who are good managers and who know how to help run a successful business. My friends, if you don't believe that's true, I can give you some, some examples, and I certainly won't hear George Barna. Here's a quote from George Barna. You know that guy. He does all the different polls and stuff out there. George Barna in his his book, Marketing the Church, he says, Ultimately, many people do not judge the preacher on his ability to preach, teach, or counsel, but on his capacity to make the church run smoothly and efficiently. It's an interesting quote, isn't it? Put starkly, Barna argues that, in essence, the preacher is judged as a businessman, manager, and marketer, rather than just as a sincere, sound teacher of God's word. Equally influential has been the decline of the role of the local theologian. I I can recall even days, I always think about Kyle's grandfather, Paul Johnson, who is just such a scholar. Gone are the days when, when pastors and preachers were respected for their theological insights and learning. Theology has largely been hijacked by the academics who see it as their preserve, right? With the result that many congregational members just see, you know, regard such as irrelevant to everyday needs. Indeed, many look for church leaders, preachers, who have only maybe minimal grounding in academic theology, but instead who have experience as psychologists and trained counselors and, and therapists, or maybe just as a dynamic speaker, To put it in other words, for many, the primary function of a local preacher is to be what you would call a general effective agent. 
It's not merely the leaders of the church who are changing their role. The same is true of current and potential members because because churches are marketing their product in such an aggressive fashion. People are minded to keep looking around in case they missed out on, on some better opportunity or some better bargain or some better perk or some service to be had at the congregation on the other side of town or on down the road. Consumerism has created a generation of church shoppers who move from one fellowship to the other in the same way maybe that a grocery shopper goes from Walmart to Kroger to Whole Foods and back again depending on the special of the day. All this is argued produces a jaundiced church which is is far removed from the deeply committed fellowships that form the backbone of the early church. So let me just pause here and ask this question. Is consumerist A consumerist mindset really all that bad? Well, I'm not saying it's sinful, but let me suggest that there is a great danger associated with this mindset that has taken a stronghold in the church and in the minds of individuals. So that brings us back to our original question. All right, that's the first two-thirds of the lesson. I don't want you to feel I wore out. Can I really attend the church of my choice? The answer is yes. Absolutely yes. You may certainly attend the church of your choice. We all have free will and can choose where and how we worship. We can choose a church that is sound and has 100 members, or we can choose a congregation that is as far out there on the left side of the field and doing everything wrong. We can choose what we want. You know that. You have free will. Let me tell you, just because you can attend the church of your choice, just like the back of the semi-truck trailers used to have. You remember those signs on the back of semis? Going down the highway, I could not find a picture of that online to save my life. I've looked for three weeks for that, and I can't find it. If you have one of those, give that to me. I always liked seeing those as a kid. We can attend the church of our choice all day long, but that doesn't mean that God will approve of our choice. Some will still say, well, why does it matter where and how I worship, as long as I'm doing it. As long as I'm going to church, what does it matter? I've had people say that. You know, they'll say, I need to go where I feel the best, and I just prefer that church is blank. You fill in the blank. You know, with comments like these, clearly uh, consumerist mindset has crept into our hearts and more than we realize. So perhaps we need to consider the longer answer. That's the short answer, but what's the longer answer? I would like to suggest that we attend the church of God's choosing. If you want to turn over to Ephesians chapter 1, we can read in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 that God chose who would obey his will, not by name, not individually, not saying, you know, Bob and Sue and Mary are predestined as the Calvinists teach, but God chose that those who would submit to the will of God and humbly obey Jesus Christ would be in him. Those who would choose his son would be his people, the church. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. God already chose who's going to be the church, the saved, those who are in Christ. God also chose later in that chapter 
In verse 22, he chose to put all things under Jesus' feet, is what he says in verse 22, and gave him, Jesus, to be head over all things to the church, those people who are mentioned back up there in verses 3 through 6, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So God chose the head, God chose the body of the one church. We read that over in chapter 4, the very same book, in verse 4 through 6, there's one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And you know what? God chose that. He set that in place without ever consulting me for one minute or one of you for our preference, didn't he? This is God's will. God chose his kingdom. He chose his son to be the head. So really, when you stop and think about it, we only have one choice. That one choice is to be part of the one church that God chose, or you can choose not to. That's it. Can I attend the church of my choice? Yes, If you want it to be the church of God's choice, you better choose the church of the New Testament, the Bible, and we can worship with the saints, whether it's locally or not, but we need to make sure it's the church that God chose, that Christ died for. There is never, there is never a choice of churches, and your preferences certainly don't amount to very much at all. Neither do mine. But the truth is, such thinking is directly related to our consumerist mindset, We want what we want, and we want it when we want it, and we're not going to stop until we get it. That type of a mindset. There are fatal flaws in these lines of reasoning. And we need to put off this consumerist mindset. And so I would like to address that for just a second. How do we put off or curb our consumerist mindset? Because, again, choosing what we want when it comes to food or clothing or or doctors or something like that, that's fine. But we can't just look at all the churches out there and go, ooh, I like that one. I like this one better. This one's a little closer. This one's got, we we can't do that. There is one body, one church. The choice is God's church, Christ's body, or nothing. Well, how do we curb that type of a mindset when it comes to spiritual things? I'd like to suggest it's by seeking God on his terms. We should all seek the Lord because he is the source of sustenance and strength. We read that in Psalm 34 uh, and verse 10 and, and Psalm 104 and verse 5. He's the source. God is a source of wisdom and understanding, Proverbs 28 and verse 5 tells us. And so we should seek God and we should seek him on his terms, but mainly not just because of who he is and what he is necessarily. That's certainly the bulk of it, mainly because God desires for us to seek him. That's what he wants And they want to please him. Over in Acts chapter 17, you see on the screen behind me here, Acts chapter 17 and verse 26, here's a wonderful answer to give to people when you ask the question, why are we here? Why did God make people? Right? In Acts chapter 17 and verse 26, how plainly did Paul say to the people in Athens, and God has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord. Why did God make people? Why did God make humans? Why does God want us to, to, to what do he wants us to do with our lives? He wants us to seek him in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Jesus taught us over Matthew chapter 6. You probably have that memorized. Matthew 6 and verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, like your food and clothing, shelter, they'll be added to you. 
And the truth is, one would hope to find God in the assembly of his people, in the church. But, my friends, God is only found in obedience, not membership. We have got to strike that idea out of our minds that I'm going to be a member of this church. I'm placing my membership so it's in the directory. No, we are added to the church when we obey the gospel. We identify with local congregations and work for the Lord. But my friends, God is found in obedience, not in our membership of a congregation. The Father and the Son abide with us as we keep Jesus' commandments. This is how Jesus um, truly uh, knows, this is how we truly know Jesus uh, and the Father. Over in 1 John chapter 2, turn there with me. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 3. Here we can read, Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, he is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. How do we know? By doing what he says. Obedience. We abide in the doctrine of Christ, and when we do that, we have both the Father and the Son, Second John. Just turn over a page or so. Look at verse 9. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who does abide in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. It doesn't get any simpler than that. My friends, God can be found anywhere, anytime. Even in one's room, we could read passages like, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 6, or, or Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 13 through 16, where we see that we can find God when we're in our private place where we're praying to Him. We can find Him there. We can find God, Paul tells Timothy over in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16, that we can find God when we're forsaken by all others. Now, I'm not suggesting, now don't, think, don't leave here thinking the preacher said, I don't have to assemble to find God. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not suggesting that we do not need to assemble to obey God. I am suggesting that as long as we are truly seeking Him in obedient faith with those of like precious faith, then we can assemble with any congregation of His people who are diligently serving Him according to His word. Regardless of the perks that we think we need to be happy You see, to to seek God in humble obedience is always good. But one will not find him by just going to church. Any church, one must obey the command by serving God as he desires. A consumerist mindset, consumerism teaches one to serve self. What do I want? What do I prefer? What do I like? Right? That's serving self, whereas God calls us to selfless service to him and others. You see how they're diametrically opposed? We have the opportunity to serve God every day, but especially when we assemble with the saints because worship is about serving God, not being served. We won't take the time to read all of these verses. And for the benefit of those who may be listening at a later date, we can see that as we offer the sacrifice of praise through song and prayer, Hebrews 13 and verse 15 tells us we are serving God when we sing and pray. Hebrews 10, 24, 25 tells us that when we, that we edify one another uh, through, through song and uh, by assembling together and, and through offering up our praise to God, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 3, as we make intercessions through praying for others. As we partake of the Lord's Supper, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 26 says, and then, of course, obviously, as we lay by in store, 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2. These are just examples. 
when we assemble, worship is about serving God. I often like to make the, the, the statement that God is the audience of our worship, whereas we are the participants. We assemble to participate in service and worship to God. My friends, even if not a single sermon is preached, all of us have the opportunity to serve God every time we go to church, every time we come to assemble. True, we also serve God by individually rendering benevolence to those in need and through evangelizing to the lost. But even in that, there is no consideration for self, only for the Lord and others. You see what we need to do? Selfless service is how we defeat a consumerist mindset that leads to people saying, what do I want, where do I want to get it, and what can I really attend the church of my choice? So let me sum this all up as the clock ticks on the wall. Consumerism in the church is that, here's the, the, it's resulted in rampant individualism is what it really boils down to. You have people seeking their independence from God and independence and, and all this. It's, it's, it's led to the privatizing of religion to people proudly saying, I'll attend the church of my choice. It's all about what I want. It seems that ascetic individualism, there you go, ascetic individualism, there's some fancy words you might take home tonight, which just literally means doing good, right? Doing good, finding opportunities to do, to serve, to do good. That has given way to hedonistic individualism, which is basically feeling good. And that has no place. That has no place in the life of a Christian. This is clearly seen in the attitude of those who will say, I will attend the church of my choice. If this one doesn't suit me, I'll just jump to that one. I'll go to this one. I'll pick the one I like. In America today, much of contemporary evangelism tells people that Jesus will make them happy and make them fulfilled. And and God does. Jesus does provide true happiness and fulfillment. But people take that idea and they look for a church that meets their needs and they go to worship for what they can get out of it. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard this comment. I've heard people say, I didn't get much out of that service. You ever hear anybody say that? I've heard people mutter that. I'm going to confess I've said that. And that's a result of my heart issue. The comment... I didn't get much out of that service as often passed without even a single thought that there might have been a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving or a concerted effort to worship God with all of one's heart, mind, soul, and strength. Thus, for many churchgoers, Christianity has become primarily a lifestyle. It's nothing more than an ethos, a, a culture or a club rather than a faith and a relationship with a Lord who demands total commitment on the part of his followers and who wants them to live in community relationships with others. I want you to think about that phrase, didn't get much out of that service. Do you suppose suppose our Lord ever uttered those words, murmured those on his way home from a temple service or one of the Passover sacrifices? Do you suppose he ever said, didn't get much out of that service? Preacher's off today. Singing was slow. Did you ever say he, 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 he did you ever think he said that? You know he didn't. You know he never muttered those words because he knew that going to serve God was about serving God, not being served. 
and everything. Jesus was always busy with the work that his father gave him to do, not seeking to serve himself. And my friends, that's the attitude we need. That's the mind of Christ. Philippians 2 talks about that we need to have. And with that mindset, the consumer's mindset has no place. It's pushed out of our minds. And we will simply look for opportunities to serve God and to serve others, perhaps right in our own backyard or perhaps on the other side of the world, wherever the case may be. But we've got to get that mindset out that, you know what, I can attend the church of my choice. Let me find the one that I like the best. How's that much different than saying I'll worship the God of my choice? Let me find the one that I like the best. You see the problem there? We want to sing a song here. And this song is actually a fantastic song. I'm, I'm glad Richard picked it. I, I didn't tell him any songs to pick. Uh, I, I just said pick some good ones. And, and this song t- is entitled, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. It's perfect, Richard. Well done. This is a perfect song. This song talks about, I've decided to put my pleasures, my wills, my dependence, my independence, my, my, my preferences aside, and I'm going to follow Christ. You know, we see in Christ's comments and Christ's actions that he preferred that this cup pass from him in the garden. But he decided to follow the Lord's will. My friends, Jesus didn't have a consumerist mindset. And so he obeyed the Father unto death. We are told to be faithful unto death. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. If we'll decide to follow Jesus, we will live that life. And we'll glorify God every day. We won't give in to hedonistic individuals. We will, we will live our lives and opportunities to serve God and serve others. Will you decide to follow Jesus tonight? If you have not decided to become a child of God, you haven't decided to follow Jesus. You may want to. You may think about it. You may think you have, but you haven't. Truly following Jesus means submitting your life to his will. Being baptized for the remission of sins because you believe that Jesus Christ and that belief will lead you to confess your faith before men and you're willing to turn away from your life to repent and to be immersed for the remission of sins. If you're willing to do that tonight, if that's what you want, that's what it means to follow Jesus. And then every day, for the rest of your life, until you take your last breath, you follow him the way he wants you to go. That's how we defeat a consumer's mindset. If you would like to become a child of God tonight, the water's ready. It's right behind me here. We can assist you in that. All you have to do is believe, be willing to confess that faith, repent of your sins, and be immersed. We stand ready to help you right now. If you want to do that, come forward as we stand to sing.